You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ben Nagy from Smart TD Communications, and Michael Blaine from Smart Communications, who's producing this episode. As we have done for the past year, we are recording remotely due to the pandemic. Welcome to the 19th episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. We sit down with Smart TD President Jeremy Ferguson to talk about a subject that's at the top of everybody's mind. In February 2022, the NSF changed its attendance policy without any notice, and they took advantage of a management-friendly court down in Texas to force the high-vis attendance policy on the very members who have been keeping the company operational through the recent pandemic and the same people who got them their record profits in 2021. So we're asking our members, stick together out there. Don't let them divide us. Don't, don't start fighting each other. We can't win if that's what we do. Beside the new policy, President Ferguson will also update our listeners on the state of contract negotiations with the national rail carriers. It's time that labor get a really good contract with all the sacrifices that we've made as far as uh, you're looking at precision scheduled railroading type stuff or productivity is through the roof. You talk about the pandemic and everybody that stood the line and you talk about the record profits. It's now our day to reap those rewards. Listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to a member question on what labor and management are doing to work together in the sheet metal trade and outlines the stakes for the unionized industry. You know, if we don't meet and we don't affect the necessary changes in our industries, then someone will do it for us and we will be left behind. President Ferguson, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to be here, brother. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, of course. But before we even get to that, can you tell the listeners a little bit about where you came from and what you did before you became a railroader? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Well, born and raised in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I raised my hand on my 18th birthday and joined the U.S. Army. Spent just over uh, three years in the U.S. Army uh, as a military police officer. Uh, After the Army, uh, I went to college. And then after college, I, uh, I joined the railroad, CSX uh, Transportation, right here in my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then um, I started out as a conductor and worked most of my time as a, as a locomotive engineer. So you've literally been in the trenches for a long time, literally and pretty much figuratively, right? Absolutely. President Ferguson, welcome to the podcast. You were uh, elected in um, 2019, the second uh, Smart Transportation Division Convention, and it has been, to put it lightly, I think a roller coaster ride for you as uh, your administration has uh, tried to get rolling here. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences so far being president? You know, you've had kind of like a pandemic and other things to deal with. Well, as Paul had said, record profits for 2021. All the carriers recorded record profits. And uh, our members have stood on the front lines through the pandemic, kept the freight moving, kept the passengers moving, kept the buses moving. And uh, now it's now it's their turn 
and I think they need to be rewarded properly, not to mention where the economy is headed, where the inflation is going, and everything else that affects our members from day to day. Now, um, it was a real slap in the face when uh, you had an attendance policy get put on the table that basically took away our members' ability to have any time off, maybe one day a month, compared to the five or six that they used to get. To quote the judge in Texas, that is pretty harsh, you know. Uh, so can, can we get uh, into a, a little bit more about uh, the policy and how uh, our union has responded to it thus far? Well, uh, yes. Obviously, uh, our response right away was that to us, this was considered a major dispute. And we immediately uh, uh, talked with the BLE, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, because they sit on the other side of the cab with us. And we uh, wanted to make sure we were in lockstep with them. So we didn't go down an opposing path, if you will. So we took that very seriously, Dennis Pierce and myself, and uh, quickly moved to take a strike vote because we both agreed that this was going to be a major dispute. Uh, we've seen a lot of attendance policies over the years, uh, including you know uh, changes on the Union Pacific about two years ago. But this one had some tentacles that were far reaching, and it was not only a coincidence in our opinion, but it was done on purpose to make changes to issues that we were talking about in contract negotiations. So to us, that was a violation of the status quo, and we wanted to challenge that as a major dispute. And that major, in the terms that I'm using, is a legal definition under the Railway Labor Act of what kind of dispute it is. And it, when it was ruled a minor, or if I say it, it is a minor, that doesn't mean it is not a major issue to this union or to the members, that it is only a legal definition of such. It seems like whether it's a major or minor dispute, that was central to the ruling that this judge made, right? I believe this judge was appointed a couple of years ago, too, about two or three years ago by the previous administration. But irregardless of that, what makes it major or minor for a case like this? What would the what would the court be looking at? Well, the court was looking at uh, whether this was a contractual interpretation or this was a, a unilateral change. So basically, that's what differentiates major versus minor. You can also say major is also when you get into contract negotiations or trying to impose something that would not be considered proper under the act. This this particular judge, was this judge like a neutral judge? Was he has he ever had any experience in the rail industry or the transportation industry before and understood these kinds of things? Well, I don't know. I won't say he's neutral. Uh, I wouldn't say this court is neutral in the, in the Northern District of Texas there, Fort Worth. Uh, we have been in his courthouse. I have been in his courthouse personally before. This was my second time with him. Uh, the first time for me was with our crew consists when, when the carriers took us to that court trying to say that the, the interpretation of our crew consist moratoriums was a minor dispute because we obviously were taking the position that that was a major dispute. And Judge Pittman was the judge. He did make it clear uh, he got some things right and some things wrong on the crew consist I'm talking about. And what I'm getting at is he did agree with us that crew consist agreements have to be negotiated at the local level not at the national agreement level like the carriers were attempting to do. They wanted it all bundled into one easy negotiating session, right? So Pittman agreed with us there. And then he went on to say, yeah, it's a minor dispute, but you got to go negotiate. He got that wrong. So we went to the Fifth Circuit, challenged that, got that overturned. Now, what was the ultimate result? We still had to go back to an arbitrator twice because first we had to go to a procedural arbitration and determine how that was going to be answered procedurally. Then we had to go arbitrate on the merits. 
and we had to get a merits uh, neutral that was second or different than the first procedural arbitrator that we had. Long story short, no matter what we do in the courts, when, even when we get the right to strike, more than likely we're going to be either in front of an arbitrator or in front of a panel of arbitrators as a presidential emergency board under the Railway Labor Act. You know, this particular thing needs to be just understood is that there are a number of procedures that need to be either played out or exhausted as written and uh, deemed by the Railway Labor Act in order for the workers to even have a strike. Even though they voted to authorize a strike, the Railway Labor Act has all of these different steps in order for a strike to be enacted. These type of cases are very procedural. What sort of options do we have right now uh, regarding the high-vis case? Well, options on the high-vis case, we have basically two, and that's it. The first one being we can appeal Judge Pittman's decision, go on to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and see what they have to say. That could take well over a year. That would be a delay while our members are still living with high-vis. And more than likely, they're going to be disciplined uh, due to high vis, and some will be dismissed. Some will have a, a number of days off, a uh, number of hearings, whatever the case may be. The other choice we have is to start moving immediately to arbitration and take it to what the Railway Labor Act and Congress back in 1928 and 1934 gave us as our so-called Supreme Court, the National Railroad Adjustment Board or a public law board. Okay, so we can go to an arbitrator and we can start making our arguments. Instead of worrying about a discipline appeal, we can get right on into arbitration and have a dispute over any conflicts that this high-vis has with our agreement. And that's the reason we were gonna go on strike because we felt they were unilaterally changing that. So we can pose those disputes to that arbitrator or to that neutral and go on his authority and his rulings and be governed, he or she, excuse me, and be governed accordingly. Now, President Ferguson, you mentioned arbitration. There's a lot of people out there who may not be very familiar with it and what it means. Can you tell for those listeners out there what arbitration means and how is that process going to play out? Well, I was explaining to a group of new treasurers that we had in Cleveland here the other day, and they were right here in the office, actually. They stopped by for a visit, and they had the same question. What is this? What is arbitration? And I did explain that back in 1928, that when the Railway Labor Act was created, that we had a number of strikes that continuously went on around the country because we had so many different railroads. We didn't have six or seven like we have today. We had a lot of smaller railroads. Strikes were very common. It was always disrupting commerce. And, and at that time, it also disrupted passenger service because you didn't have airplanes like we do today that were flying most passengers. So there was so much disruption. Congress said we need a better solution. Come up with a Railway Labor Act. And Congress said, you know what? Instead of all these strikes, we're going to give you arbitration and, and we're going to pay for it. So Congress said they will pay for this with taxpayer money. And that is the beauty of what we have as railroaders is when we have a dispute or a claim, grievance, or a discipline appeal, that is covered by federal tax money. We don't have to pay for that directly out of our union dues. Arbitration can be very expensive. If you're not in this industry, if you're outside the Railway Labor Act, every arbitration case can cost each side at least $5,000 minimum. Now that gets pretty costly, especially like the way the railroads like to discipline people. So we're in a good spot. I understand people want to go on strike. And trust me, as a, as a president, I would love to be on strike also just to show these mega profitable corporations that we too have a voice and we have that strength. But unfortunately, the law doesn't allow for that in most cases. 
We may see it at a later time as we move through the national negotiating process. Now, there are other unions that have gone and ignored arbitration, right? Back in the 1970s, um, there were some. What, what wound up happening to them after they ignored it and went on wildcat strikes? The individuals that were on the wildcat strike were fired and never got their jobs back. Unions have been sanctioned. Nobody's going to jail. That is, you know, not a thing that's going to happen. Everybody says, uh, our president should go to jail. Well, I don't have a problem going to jail. I have a problem if, if uh, we bankrupt this union, right? And uh, I, I don't want to put the union in, in jeopardy because when the union goes away, so does the contracts. And those contracts are very sacred to me, especially the part that says crew concepts where you got to have a conductor on every train. Absolutely. So, you know, we're bound by the Railway Labor Act. Uh, and, and so we have to see how uh, this process plays out regarding high-vis. Uh, is the union doing anything else uh, in order to push back against the, the policy right now, this and the other uh, carriers' policies? Oh, absolutely. We are screaming from every mountaintop we can get on. And uh, the petition drive that we've launched, both us and the BLE together, we want Washington, D.C., all branches of the government to hear us. We've been making the phone calls to the Department of Labor, the Department of Transportation, the FRA, and then uh, we want our congressmen and our senators to be actively involved in looking into what not only the BNSF, but all the other carriers are doing with these draconian type attendance policies. And it scares me because we have a national supply chain that's at risk. Uh, if they drive too many employees away, qualified locomotive engineers, qualified conductors, you don't just take somebody off the street and train them overnight to do these jobs. So the way they are treating their employees, especially at a time when, you know, you make $24 an hour at Target, people are not going to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I realize there's an hour of service regulation that will kick in, but the railroads are manipulating that at every chance they can get to. So you don't trip your consecutive days worked. Now, I know there's a lot of concern out there. And there's a lot of people following this issue as well. And I know just, just last week, I spoke to some she metal workers from up in Illinois who were talking about it and who were asking what they can do to help out. So what, what would you tell individual members, not just TD members, sheet metal members, even people across the AFL-CIO, what they can do to help with this? Well, for right now, uh, I would say sign those petitions that we got out there. Call your congressman, call your senator, U.S. that is, and, and tell them. You want them to get on the horn and start making calls and investigating what's going on, especially if you, you live in a location where the BNSF railroad operates. If you, if you don't, if you're east of the Mississippi or whatever, we're, you know, we're Norfolk Southern, they got a horrible attendance policy also. Call your congressman and say, hey, did you hear what's going on on the BNSF? Because uh, they're making noise about that. But we also got similar stuff on the Norfolk Southern. We want that looked into also. Let's make the noise. We've got the opportunity and, uh, and changes need to be made. People need to understand that what we work under out here every day. The NSF employees kept America moving during the pandemic while making the company billions of dollars in record profits. In return, BNSF thanked them with a high-vis attendance policy that would destroy families, ruin lives, and threatens the safety of the very railroaders who made them successful. Contact your congressperson now by texting NOHIVIZ, that's N-O-H-I-V-I-Z, to 67336 to send them a message. Tell them to back the workers who kept America moving. Do it today. Message and data rates may apply.
In addition to the high-vis policy, there's also this backdrop of the national negotiations that are happening right now and have been ongoing since uh, pretty much coinciding with the pandemic. Uh, processes span nearly the entire time uh, of your term as president. And rail workers have sacrificed a lot the past couple of years, keeping the country moving. Where do things stand right now with the uh, national negotiations? Well, we've just entered into mediation, effective January 22nd, I believe the date was. We were out in San Diego for a negotiating session in hours before we arrived. It was when this uh, BNSF uh, high-vis policy was announced, and uh, that infuriated those of us from the running trades. That started to put the uh, negotiating talks into a tailspin right away. We asked uh, the NRLC, the NCCC, if you will, that they have the BNSF pull that back down and wait till we could try to negotiate because we had five-day work weeks and stuff like that, different changes uh, for quality of life for road uh, men and women. They refused to do it. And uh, the next day we went into the negotiating uh, table and they made a preposterous proposal. I mean, 11% total over five years after what we'd seen with John Deere and where the inflation numbers are and everything else going on. We don't just go into negotiations as us as railroaders, which everybody at the negotiating table is, you know, we do bring our attorneys with us, but we also bring our economists with us and our healthcare consultant with us. We, we know where the costs are. We know where the inflation is. We know where the profits are. We do our due diligence to make sure when we make proposals for our wages and our work rule changes that they're substantiated not only with fact, but uh, with an outcome that can be uh, handled by the railroads as profitable as they are. So, President Ferguson, when we talk about the Coordinated Bargaining Committee, who is on that? And what's our position at the bargaining table when we go in front of the carriers? Our coordinated bargaining coalition that we have right now is all the crafts except for the smart sheet metal mechanical division for rail, and then the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way. But those two are in their own coalition. However, the lines of communication are well open between us. Uh, we work together as closely as we can. They have issues that are slightly different than ours, but the good news out of all this is both coalitions are now in mediation. There has been no tentative agreement put out for ratification, turned down, initial, or anything like that. So there is no pattern as we've had to deal with before in the past. So we're all on equal footing, no matter which coalition you're in, left or right. So we're good to go there. And now um, as we move into our next mediation session, uh, we will probably be close to being up to speed as to where the maintenance away and the mechanical, sheet metal mechanical side is, because they've been through a couple of mediation sessions already and they're not gaining any traction from what's been reported to me. I'm not speaking on their behalf, but we'll probably be uh, right there uh, neck and neck with them asking uh, for the next step in the Railway Labor Act. And you've mentioned the mediation phase and how we're kind of ensconced in that. Uh, what does that involve? You're not in the same room with the carriers now anymore, are you? Well, we can be. Mediation, it's up to the mediator. We have a federal mediator that's appointed uh, by the National Mediation Board. She will be making those calls and those decisions as to if we are in the same room or we're separate. I've seen it both ways, where you had two groups that could not be in the same room together at all. And others, other mediators left us in the same room the whole time, and just kept everybody talking and trying to get to a peaceful uh, resolution. What has a carrier's perspective been on mediation from the other side? I have no good answer for that, Paul. They haven't shared their view on that with us. They know it's just another step, another cog in the wheel, if you will, with the Railway Labor Act. Either side can ask for mediation. Neither side can you know, turn it down. 
So it is what it is kind of thing. And uh, we'll see what their attitude is here when we, uh, when we go to our next, uh, next session. So in the past, how has this worked out? Like, is there a precedent for breakdown in talks like this? Yes. Uh, historically, you know, the, the last, I want to say the last three contracts have involved uh, mediators. Uh, some of the other unions went through presidential emergency board. It usually, it does not handle just an outright negotiations. It usually takes the assistance of the national mediation board in one form or another to keep this process moving and on track. You know, you mentioned the, the presidential emergency board. What's that? Is that just like the next logical step or, um, you know, how likely is one to occur? Well, I think one, it will be determined on how things work out in our mediation sessions, but if it doesn't go well, we'll probably be like the maintenance away uh, and, the, and the sheet metal where we can't get anywhere. We'll recognize that fact. Carriers aren't stepping up to the plate and we'll advise the board that uh, we feel we're at an impasse there and we would request the next step, which would be a proffer of arbitration and, and then on to a presidential emergency board. And how have the recent proposals from the CBC uh, compared to some of the other contracts that you've seen negotiated recently? You are talking about our Section 6 notices, right? Our proposals? Yes, oh, yes, man. yes. Um, I'm not bragging because uh, <laughs> I'm signatory to these ones versus the other ones. But, uh, you know, I think it's some <laughs> of the best. And it's not because of me. Uh, we had some of the best uh, general chairmen involved. Some of our bigger committees, they've got their hands, uh, their thumb on the pulse. They know what's going on out there. I try to keep uh, in touch with, with every member I can so I know what's going on out there. So when we sat down to put these together collectively, um, it was a great process uh, at what we call our District 1. And then you look at what all the other unions that entered in for their Section 6 notices, same thing. You know, it's time that labor get a really good contract with all the sacrifices that we've made as far as uh, you're looking at precision scheduled railroading type stuff or productivity is through the roof. You talk about the pandemic and everybody that stood the line and you talk about the record profits. It's now our day to reap those rewards. Let me ask you this. When do you remember, do you know of what it was like when the last time rail unions went on strike? Well, uh, 1991 uh, was the national. I was in the army, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was a short strike. It was very sh short. It was the following a presidential emergency board recommendation that we rejected. Then that went to Congress and that was made into law. And that was, that was our agreement, PEB 219. But then in 1994, I had just hired out on the railroad and uh, I worked out of CSX out of Grand Rapids going into Chicago. I remember seeing the picket lines briefly as I was brand new, riding as a brakeman. You know, there was the picket lines there on the uh, Sioux line because they were on strike for almost 60 days over crew consist. So that was President Bill Clinton let them go for, for a good 60 days before putting them into a, a PB. You mentioned President Clinton. What about President Biden? Is there anything that he or elected officials out there can do to support our negotiating position for the union? Well, absolutely. Ultimately, uh, if the National Mediation Board agrees that there's an impasse and they make the recommendation to the White House that we need a presidential emergency board, we will be asking, you know, the Biden administration to stand behind us and allow for that presidential emergency board to move forward. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask, first off, there's been the climate out there uh, regarding various issues, you know, high vis, national contract negotiations. You see it all over social media and you see it in other places too. What can workers do to fight for 
and stand together so that they get the fair and just contract that they deserve. Well, it's pretty easy, Ben, in my opinion. Stick to the facts. You know, let's arm ourselves with the facts. Stay involved in the union meetings. If uh, you're not getting the information that you need, let us know. We always get inquiries at our office here in Cleveland as to where are we at with the national contract, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. You need to educate yourself with the facts. Don't do your own research on Facebook or somewhere else where it's all propaganda or it's, it's just conjecture and surmise. Everybody's an expert when they're at home behind their keyboard. But when it comes down to it, lean on your union. That's what we're here for. We will get you that information if you don't have it but stick to the facts. Don't let the carrier propaganda get to you either because trust me, they're going to be on, on a disinformation campaign trying to brew up fights and arguments between the employees. They love to divide and conquer, okay? So President Ferguson, going on, on what you were just mentioning about Facebook and social media, we hear there's been a lot of people out there who are not members. They've been going on our the union's public Facebook page and making a lot of comments, trying to stir things up, trying to get members turned, turning against other members, blaming the union for BNSF and their policy, blaming the union and telling union members that they're working without a contract and that there's no contract in force. It seems like a lot of misinformation out there. Where do you think this is all coming from and what's causing this? And why is it that members are blaming the union rather than these carriers and holding them accountable? Well, that's that's an excellent question, Paul. I wish I had all the answers for you, but, uh, you know, uh, my own personal opinion, self-serving reasons for whatever those individuals are making those comments. Is it the railroads putting them up to it to divide and conquer, to cause chaos? I, I wouldn't put it past some of them, but what their motivations are other than that, it, it's hard to be, you know, determined. But President Pierce and myself and all the other presidents uh, of the coalitions, we've stuck together. So we're asking our members, stick together out there. Don't let them divide us. Don't start fighting each other. We can't win if that's what we do. And like you said, they're putting false propaganda out there that you're working without a contract. It's not possible under the Railway Labor Act. Contract is only amended or changed. It never expires. So that's why your pay rates are what they are. They haven't changed. Your health care hasn't changed. And we can go right on down the list. So we've got to be cognizant of that. Now, is there anger out there because people haven't had a pay raise? Absolutely. Why they want to direct that anger at us as the unions, it's maybe just innocently out of frustration. I can understand that. I can take that. I've got broad shoulders. That's what leaders do. But I need to redirect that anger back towards the railroads because they're the ones with the money. They're the ones that don't want to step up to the negotiating table and put forth the proper pay raises that they all deserve. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. So when it comes to information, getting information out there, is informational picketing allowed? Absolutely it is allowed. Now that we would ask and we would want, formally request, however you want to word it, 
that they coordinate any pickets that are going to have the smart insignia on it. If it's going to be endorsed by us as a union, they have to coordinate it through us in, in D.C. and in Cleveland both. So the legal department can sign off and we can get it all cleared. We'll approve the picket signs, the messaging, handbills, and so on and so on. And both of you have been a part of this, Paul and Ben, before uh, when we did this against the Union Pacific. General President Sellers and myself, I believe it was November 2nd of 2019, and we did that out in Kansas City. Had a great day. It was about 20 degrees degrees, freezing cold, had a great turnout, made a lot of noise, and uh, it was a lot of educational fun, if you will. Uh, where do you recommend folks go for more information uh, regarding the contract uh, or anything else uh, that may be top of mind for them? Well, you guys are doing a great job with a new website and with our app, the Smart TD app, and our Facebook account and Twitter. So we're pushing it everywhere we can. And if you've got questions, please call into the office, 216-228-9400. Leave a message if our guys are busy. There's email accounts and everything else we can answer back on. We will get you the information. But the true information right now that's coming out is things are not moving quick enough. We haven't got anywhere close to a tentative agreement at the negotiating table because the carriers have been reluctant to even give us a percentage wage increase until uh, we were there in January. So it's been difficult to put out a lot of information. Can't do it play by play, obviously. And then the coalition, we agreed that we would speak uh, as one, all of us unions that are in the coalition together. And so that's where the press releases generate from is that coalition. But I ran on transparency. I want every member to know what we're doing, how we're doing it. There are certain things in the negotiating process we can't talk about until you have a final product, right? But we'll get there. And we'll keep everybody apprised of what we're doing and where we're at within the Railway Labor Act as best as we can. I promise you that. Just to, to follow up on what President Ferguson said, uh, when you mentioned transparency, for those of you who are members of SMART, you visit the SMART website and log into the member portal, create an account. There is everything you can need, soup to nuts, to learn about the union, to find out forms. Every single piece of information about the union is right in there. So you have it all right at your fingertips. Again, that's smart-union.org. We're as transparent as humanly possible in this union uh, and following through on that. Absolutely. Phone, email, you know, text, just uh, get a hold of us and we'll, uh, we'll do the best to get the information out there that you need. So Jeremy, a lot of things going on right now, a lot of storms, a lot of ups and downs to navigate. At the end of all this, what is the most important thing for labor to get out of this situation? most important thing, I think, and the one that I'm most proud of is all the rail unions now are sticking together, you know, and that's solidarity across the line. Even though we have two coalitions yet, from the top down or from the bottom up, however you want to look at it, because the members run this union, right? We are all sticking together. That is the message that has to stay consistent. No matter if you're furious because you don't have a raise or you're furious because there's a tenants policy, we're all going to stick together. We're going to get the facts. We're going to develop the record. We're going to fight, arbitrate, no matter what avenue we have to take under the Railway Labor Act. But if we all keep a cool head and we all stick together, that's how we're going to win. That's what it's all about. That's what I've done the entire time I've been a union officer from local chairman all the way to the seat I'm sitting in now is develop the facts, develop the record, do your homework and stick together. Solidarity, solidarity, solidarity. That's how we're gonna win. You know, here, hearing that and just seeing our history, when we've won, it's when we stuck together, right? Even today, current events, you look overseas, right? People are sticking together. They're not fighting with each other. You know, a certain country 
who seems to be invading somebody likes to likes to turn everybody against each other, right? They 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 have a habit of that. You don't see them doing that in Ukraine right now. They're all sticking together. You've got ex-presidents, current presidents. They're they're in army uniforms right now, and they're all and they're all marching to the same beat. And that's why they're resisting so well. So maybe that's a good lesson to learn for a lot of us over here. Now that you mentioned that, Paul, I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, our union brothers and sisters in Ukraine that are railroaders because they're saving a lot of lives. If you look, those are our union railroaders that are moving those trains to evacuate all those people and to make sure they get food and goods back to the back lines to help the people that are still there and trying to get uh, the refugees the heck out of that country. So excuse me for choking off, but a little emotional, but, uh, you know, being in the military myself and, and being a railroader, I'm proud of those union brothers along with those soldiers that are fighting, but those union brothers and sisters that are keeping those trains moving. Absolutely. God bless them. God bless them. I was going to say, you know, you made a good point there with uh, how, how they try to divide and conquer. And I'll remind everybody, too, that if you look at the last proposal that the carriers made, how they worded it, we didn't post that because it wasn't in our document, but they've been very clear trying to divide us away from all the other rail unions that if we don't agree to a crew conscious change that A, we don't get a raise and B, they're going to take that away from uh, all the other crafts. They're making it clear that they're using that as a divisive tool in negotiating. They're trying to take the other unions and work them against us because if we don't acquiesce to their position that crew conscious should take place, they're holding it against the negotiation process with all the other rail unions. That's pretty low in my book. Uh, when you want to stoop to that level. When it's us, it's a number of unions together. And, you know, the song lyric applies now as much as it did back then. United, we stand. Divided, we beg. And we're standing up against companies that have made record profits, billions of dollars underneath the work, the hard work of our members. And we got to stick together and work through this in order to get what we deserve. Jeremy, thank you for taking your time to be here. You have a super busy schedule. You and the TD officers have been fighting a lot of fires since day one of your administration. And we really want to make you know that what you do is appreciated throughout the union by us, and by everyone else across Smart Transportation Division. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you both for having me and uh, I look forward to coming back and, and clarifying any of the issues and uh, putting forth our message to the membership. Thank you to the members. Thank you, President Ferguson. And I just wanna reiterate what he said earlier. Right now is the time for people across this union. As a matter of you, Sheet Metal Transportation Division member, we gotta stand together and fight on this issue. When IRAPs came up, Transportation Division members were there with Sheet Metal workers. Regardless of who you are, visit the smartunion.org website, contact your member of Congress, make sure they understand these issues that are facing our railroad brothers and sisters. Remind them who stood with them when they needed us. Remind them with all this talk about supply chains, it's not going to be resolved that the rail carriers are allowed to keep placing their profits above everything else, their customers, their workers, the whole country's national security. And now we're going to go to our open mic segment with General President Sellers. President Ferguson, thank you for being here and taking the time to be with us today. Thank you once again for having me. Take care. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, Ben. Smart has launched a brand new home on the internet, your source for up-to-date personalized information from your union, including the Sheet Metal Job Bank, Transportation Division Safety Reports, Breaking News, and more. Visit smart-union.org and create an account at the member portal 
to find personalized resources just for you. Sign up instructions are located at the top of the homepage of the website in the red alert section. Welcome to the open mic segment of the podcast with General President Joseph Salas. General President Salas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Paul and, and Michael and Ben. Uh, I greatly appreciate being here. And uh, it's, uh, it's really good to hear from our members. So thank you. Thank you. We have a question today from Rebecca Sturdivant, a member from Sheet Metal Local 63 out of Springfield, Massachusetts. And the question that she asks is, do you have any ideas to get our local union leaders and our JATC and contractors all together on the same page with the same goals and visions for the future? And what I mean is, do you have any ideas to open up a better dialogue? Thank you very much. Yes, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Good question and very timely. There are a number of ways that we work together with our contractor partners in SMACNA and other contractors throughout the United States and Canada. We need to get on the same page and we need to make sure that we have the same agenda for growing and expanding our industries. We have labor and management committees at the local level and at the international level. We coordinate workforce needs in the near term and we also try to forecast the needs of longer terms. And what are the skill sets, the specific skill sets required for the job, such as, is this project coming up? Does it need certified welders? Is there architectural skills that are needed to perform this building envelope system? And do we need more sheet metal workers to work on that architectural package? Or do we need testing, adjusting, and balancing men and women across the territory? You know, this COVID situation and the need for ventilation do we as an industry need more workers and people that have the ability to do ventilation verification programs for our schools and our buildings so that when we enter them, they are safer with the proper ventilation that was designed by the engineer when that building was originally designed and built? Do we need fire life safety skills in an area, fire damper inspections, stairwell pressurization, as well as smoke evacuation system inspections? what is the need in that area and how does that labor management identify that today, tomorrow, five years from now? Labor management at a national level and labor management at a local level talk about and work together on recruitment and retention programs. If we're not retaining our members, then we're losing and we need to continue to advance our recruitment and retention efforts as well as making sure that at every level of our organization, we have diversity, equity, and inclusion programs into that model. You know, the other things that we work on at a national and a local level is market share expansion, prevailing wages, new technologies. What's the technologies that are going to be hitting the shop and the job site and the workplace tomorrow and five years from now? And there's so many other issues that we work on. You know, we don't always agree, but we agree on a lot of the issues facing our industry. And we can focus on those issues and making sure that we're advancing the ball when it comes to working together on that. We'll work on the other 10% of the work and discuss that, but let's move together as labor and management for the good of our industry, for the good of each sector of our industry. Rebecca, this question is very timely. And it's timely because we just got back from our Partners in Progress Conference, where labor and management committees convened to share best practices from across both of our countries. We spent two days sharing those ideas, hearing presentations about how we can do it better together. 
There is a National Partners in Progress Task Force that continues to meet and work throughout the year to identify, share programs with both countries, and meet with labor management committees across both countries. Wherever they go in to have their meetings, they meet with those labor management committees and get an idea of what are they doing and see firsthand the experiences they have. This Partners in Progress Task Force also puts together the Partners in Progress magazine that you get electronically and also other publications. You know, if we don't meet and we don't affect the necessary changes in our industries, then someone will do it for us and we will be left behind. So thank you for your question. We need to continue to come together as labor management partners, work on those issues at both levels, at the national level, as well as the local union level, so that we can meet the industry needs, the workforce needs, the skill sets required to put more people in our union and perform that work in every area, every corner of both of our countries. Rebecca, thank you again for your question. General President Sellers, thank you very much for that. Partnership work we do is very unique in the labor movement, especially the type of work we do here in the trades and here at SMART. And with your leadership and with SMACNA as well, working with you, we've been able to accomplish quite a bit. Thank you for answering that. And thank you for being here today. Thank you all. Everybody, please stay safe and enjoy the nice weather coming up.